Therefore, I tell you, stop being worried or anxious, perpetually uneasy or distracted about your life, as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body as to what you'll wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow seed nor reap the harvest nor gather the crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father keeps feeding them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add one hour to the length of his life? And why are you worried about clothes? See how the lilies and the wild flowers of the field grow? They do not labour, nor do they spin wool to make clothing. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory and splendour, dressed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive and green today and tomorrow is cut and thrown as fuel into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry or be anxious, perpetually uneasy or distracted, saying, What are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? For the pagan Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but do not worry, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first, and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Good morning. Now, the theme for this morning's talk is confidence in the character of God. Um, I'm not somebody who's used or well-practiced to speaking like this. Um, and it's fair to say that I pretty much fell at the first hurdle on this one. Um, in that my initial thoughts about planning today were along the lines of what if God doesn't give me anything to say? What if I can't string a coherent sentence together? Um, the irony of which is not lost on me when I'm speaking on confidence in the character of God. But here we are. Um, we're going to go for it anyway. Um, and I'm trusting that God has something for us this morning. You'll also notice me reading a fair amount. Uh, that's because I am largely to aid with being able to string coherent sentences together. So let's jump in. The passage that Toby so capably read for us uh, this morning is one that I'm sure lots of us will have heard before. And at first read, it's uh, quite a simple, reassuring collection of verses. Don't worry. Seek the kingdom first and God will look after you. However, if you're anything like me, the apparent simplicity of those verses actually provoke more questions than they answer. All we have to do is look around us, around the world, to see that for lots of believers, this isn't always their lived experience. It's quite clear that in the midst of incredible stories of God's provision and generosity and kindness, there are also Christians living in poverty, in danger and uncertainty. Um, Open Doors um, recently have talked on their website about how 
in North Syria, after years of war and bombing, people were finally starting to rebuild their lives. And then coronavirus struck. And one pastor writes that vulnerable believers are in desperate need of food and aid. People are hungry. Some call me crying because they have no food for their children or their families. And closer to home, maybe you can think of examples, maybe even personal painful examples where you've had to go without the things that you need for a time. The New Testament scholar R.T. France puts it like this. How are we to maintain the relevance of this teaching to those large numbers of human beings, many of them devout disciples who simply cannot obtain enough food and die through famine, while the affluent part of the world lives in excess. It would be a grossly insensitive and blinkered expositor who would dare to suggest that it was simply because they did not trust God enough. We don't subscribe to a prosperity gospel that if we do certain things, all will be well. So what is it that God is saying to us in this passage? I believe God is inviting us into something this morning. So let's look at the passage again. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, stop being worried or anxious, perpetually uneasy, distracted about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body as to what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, if we think about the context of this passage, Jesus has gathered his 12 disciples to him. He's teaching and training them. He's delivering all the wisdom of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's right at the start of what will be months of journeying together, um, the disciples following Jesus as their rabbi. And their lifestyle of traveling and moving from place to place made the question of daily provision entirely relevant. And the temptation to worry was probably very real. And what I find interesting is that Jesus doesn't say, right, you know, we're embarking on this season together. We're going to be moving around a lot, but don't worry because I know where all the best wells are with the cleanest water. And we will make sure that we stop at a market at least once a day um, to make sure that we have the food that we need. He doesn't do that. He actually makes no bones about the fact that food and clothing is not to be their primary concern. Rather, First and most importantly, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. A couple of authors in their commentary on Matthew put it really helpfully, I thought, like this. Jesus, is, Jesus promises, rather, that the heavenly Father through divine providence, will give his own what is truly necessary for them if they are to accomplish their God-given tasks. There is a road and it can be travelled. For the disciple, that should be enough. And Jesus is certainly an authority on this matter, uh, having only recently, prior to the Sermon on the Mount, spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the wilderness he knew what it was to be hungry. Now, my children can't go longer than about 40 minutes without one of them announcing that they must have something to eat. 
40 days and 40 nights is incomprehensible to me. But he knew what it was to experience hunger. And Matthew 4 describes to us that the enemy comes along when Jesus is in the wilderness and makes the mistake of thinking that Jesus might prioritise bread to satisfy his very human, very real hunger over the kingdom of heaven and the mission he'd come to fulfil. He says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy. It takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. That's from the message version. He's making a direct distinction between what it means to be alive and what it means to really live. For us to live a life in all its fullness, we are to look beyond the natural. Now, does that mean that I don't believe that we should ask God for the material things that we need or that he doesn't care or that he doesn't provide? No, not at all. I have many stories of God's kindness and generosity in my life. One being the story of hope that you might have caught a couple of weeks ago where God provided the money I needed for fuel just to get to work. I would, though, suggest that it is God's good pleasure to invite us into an even deeper level of dependence on him and confidence that he cares for us. Verse 26 says, look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly father keeps feeding them. Are you not worth much more than they? Or to put it another way, if God provides physical food for the animals he's created, how much more can we trust him to provide spiritual soul food for those he made in his image and has called into relationship with him? So what is God offering us? What is it that is to sustain us when we put God's kingdom first? These are a couple of verses that I love. Um, and this is a picture of um, a big board that I have of painting um, with the verses on. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's Jeremiah 17. Now this passage is both um, reassuring and deeply challenging to me. It's a wonderful picture of God's faithfulness, his provision, his sustaining power, but it also mentions heat and drought. Can we look beyond the natural, the everyday needs, and see that what God is promising us is a far more liberating and meaningful foundation. That he will continue to sustain our spirits even when our bodies are failing. Can we believe that our roots, if connected to the stream of the water of life, will provide us with assurance of hope beyond the grave? Do we believe that God is with us and cares for us should we experience persecution, which we may do? And do we believe that we'll be able to continue to bear fruit and give glory to God? Do we believe that it's possible to lose our business or our income and yet not be anxious? 
that's the kind of confidence in God's character that I want. I'm not there yet, <laughs> but it's, that's what I want. That should I lose all that I hold dear in this life, be it loved ones, a roof over my head, food on the table, that my trust in God and in who he is would sustain me and that I would also continue to bear fruit and bring God's kingdom. A great example of this is Paul and Silas. They're singing and praying in prison, having been arrested and beaten and flogged. But they chose to continue to put their trust in God. And by singing and praying and leaning on the confidence they had, it transformed the atmosphere. Literal chains broke, doors opened. People said, how can I be saved? And it made me ask the question, well, what could that look like in my life today? Where can I choose to put my trust in God's character, believing in the depth of his commitment to me, that he will provide what is truly necessary for me to fulfill the God-given tasks and purpose for my life? How can I live in a way that makes other people say, how can I be saved? Verse 27 of our passage today says that Jesus says worrying is as useful as watercress in Vindaloo. That's a literal translation from the original language. No, it's not. It's one of it's one of my husband Gaz's um, favourite sayings. But it is quite a good summary of what Jesus is really saying, which is that worrying is pointless. It says, who of you by worrying can add one hour to the length of his life? It doesn't achieve anything. So how do we live a life free of worry when it's actually not that hard to think of a number of things that we could probably easily justify worrying about? I can think of several now. <laughs> um, how do we live in that place of not worrying when the Bible's quite clear that we will experience challenging times? So let's get practical. What can we do instead of worry? Well, the obvious and very correct answer is to pray. Philippians 4 verse 1, slightly paraphrased, says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything bring your requests to God. Now, I'm not paraphrasing that because it's not important. Quite the opposite. Um, I think it's the single most important key to letting go of worries. But if you are anything like me, I need things spelled out beyond that. So um, I want to just really briefly explore three practical ways that we can purposefully choose to try and grow um, and lean on our confidence in the character of God. So number one, think about what you're thinking about. Uh, I've recently been reading Joyce Mayer's book, Battlefield of the Mind. And one of the things she writes about is think about what you're thinking about. Perhaps another way of phrasing this is taking our thoughts captive as we are exhorted to do in 2 Corinthians 10 in order to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, like worry. So a recent example of this for me revolved around our house. Um, we've been thinking for a long time about um, whether to move or whether to do some work on our house. Um, or whether to move to a bigger property in our area. But they're quite hard to come by. <laughs> and
And some friends of ours were also house hunting in the same area. And I found myself thinking things like, God will probably provide them with a house first and all the money that they need. Um, and we will somehow miss the boat or get left behind. We will never find the house that's that's right for what we are looking for, um, et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea. Now, when I registered what I was thinking about, I had to really stop and consider what am I choosing to believe in that moment, which actually had nothing to do with our friends and everything to do with um, allowing a seed to take root of God probably doesn't have a plan for us in the same way that he does for other people. Or ultimately, God probably doesn't love us as much as he loves other people. Maybe we're less lovable. <laughs> um, but once I realised that's what was going on, it was much easier to throw those thoughts out. That is not the God I know. That's not his character. He is fully interested and involved in our lives. And I know that to be true. And my worries evaporated when I came at them with truth. So number one, think about what you're thinking about. Number two, problems are real. They do require thought, but we are not to make them an idol. I'm sure we all know of much loved brothers and sisters in Christ, perhaps even people in your own family who have hit really difficult times and have been unable to reconcile who God is with their very painful and very real experiences. It doesn't take long for our confidence in God to crumble if our confidence is dependent or too heavily invested in avoiding difficulty or having everything that we want or need or desire. It doesn't mean that those desires are necessarily wrong, but it always goes, God needs, wants, desires, always. The minute we put our, our agenda, our needs, our wants above our submission, above the Lordship of God in our lives, then we're not in a safe position. And I feel it's right actually to just take a minute to honour those of you who have experienced particularly devastating challenges in your life. Maybe you've had to walk right into the middle of disappointment and pain. I honour you for still being here. I honour you for choosing to hold on to God. I honour you for giving him your yes, even when your mind may well have been crying out, no. I feel God's deep joy that you've remained. I feel a real sense of you need to know that his compassion is ongoing for you for the suffering you've walked through and he has intense joy intense pride that you are still here and he is still fully committed to you so i honor you for um, remaining so you are his he is ours and our roots are deeper for what we have walked through God is God and his character and his steadfastness, his worthiness of our praise sits above everything else. And that is the best place that we can position ourselves. So number three, lastly, another way to park worry to one side is to take responsibility for what we are responsible for and release the rest to God. 
Now, Gaz has been hugely helpful for me over the years in this regard because he's helped me realise that not only am I not a mind reader, <laughs> but neither can I take responsibility for things that aren't mine to carry. My job is to seek first the kingdom, which Romans 14 tells us is the priorities of the kingdom of heaven are righteousness, joy and peace. It even says it's not a matter of eating or drinking, which ties into what we're talking about today. And the rest I can trust to God. If I've chosen to listen to Jesus's teaching and to be putting it into practice in my life, then I know I'm building my house upon a rock. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus literally says, if you listen to my words, if you hear everything I've just taught you and you do it, it's like building your house on a rock. And when challenges come and difficulties come, you will stand firm. But if you hear all of these things and you don't do them, it's like building your house on the sand. So seek first the kingdom, do the things that Jesus has called us to do and let tomorrow worry about itself. So to close, as we go into a new week, let's remember that our confidence and our trust is in, is in a God who is loving and faithful and says to us, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let's trust him in times of plenty and in times of lack. Let's open ourselves to believe his faithfulness is so complete that it surpasses our earthly needs. This is good news. This is exciting. I want a faith that will stand. Let's be a people whose roots go down so deep that we are always fruitful and that we remain connected to the water of life and that we bring life to those around us, even in drought and heat. And what a picture that is for the world we're living in right now. So do not worry, but seek to live out the God-given tasks before you each day, washing up, going to work, refereeing your children, doing your tax return, reaching out to a neighbour, changing nappies. God cares for you and he gives you his peace. Our confidence is in his loving fatherhood to us that reaches depths that we can't comprehend. <laughs>